0: Hello, ACAC Church family and friends. Today, our continuing study of the Bible's opening book, the book of Genesis, brings us to chapter 13. And the story that is recorded there has a great deal to say to us about a vitally important topic, making wise, godly decisions. The narrative of chapter 13 reminds us that the way we make decisions not only influences what will happen, but it influences what we ourselves will become. Now, if you're familiar with God's Word, you know that God's Word addresses important topics in one of two ways. Sometimes it offers us a positive example that we would be wise to emulate. Other times, it offers us a negative example that we would be wise to avoid. Now, chapter 13 offers both a positive example and a negative example, but today, our primary focus will be on the latter, the negative example. And that negative example, when it's coupled together with the later narrative we'll come to in chapter 19, reminds us that the folly of a poor decision may not be revealed immediately. If that were the case, there'd be fewer poor decisions. But even though it may not be revealed immediately, it will be revealed. If it isn't seen in the headlights, it will be seen later in the rearview mirror. Now our text opens with a wise decision by someone whose decisions weren't always wise. After a disastrous detour from God's leading, one based solely on appearances and fear, and after an embarrassing eviction from a pagan Egypt, Abram returned to the place he should never have left, Bethel, the place of the altar, and by symbolism, the place of worship. But Abraham was going to discover that being in the right place doesn't always translate into a smooth journey. Abraham soon found himself facing escalating tensions that had the potential to birth a hot mess. And oddly enough, that stress, those tensions, had their genesis in God's blessing. That's a reminder that godly decisions and God's blessings don't always simplify life. Sometimes they complicate it. They invite new opposition. They introduce new challenges. In this case, God had blessed Abram and his nephew Lot. Their economic base, their flocks and their herds had multiplied. They had increased exponentially. And as a result, the grazing land and the water resources necessary to sustain them had been stretched to the breaking point. And as this current pandemic has illustrated, when a stressful situation isn't immediately resolved, immature people grow frustrated. And then their unresolved frustration births anger. And angry people always look for someone or something to blame. So, it should come as little surprise that strife between Abram's employees and Lot's employees soon reached the boiling point. Now, in response to that predicament, Abraham acted like a wise leader. He was a praying man, but he didn't simply pray that things would get better— He took decisive steps to ensure that they would get better. Now, there's a sermon in that, but I'll let you write that one yourself. The steps that Abram took are recorded beginning in verse 8 of chapter 13. So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord Destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as sodom now the men of sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the lord i've entitled our study today leaning toward sodom before we embark upon this study please join your hearts with me in prayer Gracious Heavenly Father, once again, I gladly confess my total insufficiency and inability for the task you have entrusted to me, the teaching and proclamation of your word. So as always, I ask for a fresh equipping from your Holy Spirit so that I will faithfully echo your heart and faithfully teach your truth. And I ask that you would grant all of us a fresh equipping from the Spirit that will open the eyes of our understanding and enable us to respond in faith. As always, I pray these things for the honor of our Lord, the welfare of his people, his church, and for the advancement of our sacred mission in a broken world. And I pray these things in jesus name amen and amen and as we study god's word together today may the lord be with you the bible frequently makes statements that we struggle to accept one example of that is found in the later new testament book of second peter the second chapter and the seventh verse that passage states in no uncertain terms that Lot was a righteous man whose soul was greatly distressed by the sinful practices so prevalent in the city of Sodom. Now, to anyone familiar with Lot's entire life story, That statement sounds like a classic case of mistaken identity. Because as chapter 19 opens, Lot doesn't look anything like a man greatly vexed and troubled by the sins of his neighbors. Because as you'll see when we get to chapter 19, there Lot is seen sitting at the city gate. Now that signifies he enjoyed some level of acceptance in Sodom, some level of influence in the city, and actually held a position of civic leadership in Sodom. And while our earlier study of Daniel and his friends reminded us it is appropriate to be involved in civic affairs in your nation or in your community, there is no indication that Lot was attempting to be a voice for reform. He didn't face any lion's den. He didn't face any fiery furnace. We also know that Lot would later offer his virgin daughters to an angry mob. There's a lot more to that account than initially meets the eye. But he did that. And he subsequently allowed his two daughters to take advantage of his grief over losing his wife, get him drunk, and use him to father his own grandsons in a perverted cultic practice that they had learned while in Sodom. So it's clear, Lot was not righteous because of his track record, because of his behavior. But then, none of us are. You see, Lot was righteous because like his uncle Abram, he had believed God. He had put his faith in God's promise and God's covenant, and God, for that reason, considered him righteous. In the language of the New Testament, Lot had been justified by his faith. So, when Genesis 19 later says that God rescued lot because god remembered abram it doesn't mean god recovered from amnesia and it certainly doesn't mean that lot was saved because of abram's righteousness i would remind you god doesn't have any grandchildren the wording there means that God remembered the covenant that he had first established with Abraham and God remembered the fact that Lot by faith had entered into that covenant. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.7 is not a suggestion that we should live carelessly. It is a reminder of God's amazing grace and the fact that he honors his word and is faithful even when we are not. Chapter 19 and the events recorded there would also remind us that God often answers the prayers of the faithful on behalf of those who are compromised. That's why... There's always more at stake in our personal faithfulness to God than our own self-interest. Our faithfulness has significant implications for other people. But the primary thing God's description of Lot as righteous reveals is this. Righteous men and women can make compromised, unrighteous, unwise, foolish decisions. It happens all the time. And the first seven words of verse 10 in our English translation reveals the primary reason why it happens. Those seven words indicate that Lot's decision was based on sight, not on faith. Listen to them. He lifted up his eyes and saw. Lifted up his eyes and saw. He saw the rich Jordan Valley. He was enamored with its economic potential. And so he chose that area for himself. But 2 Corinthians 5, 7 in the New Testament tells us that God's people are to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, faith always involves hearing the word of God. So walking by faith means you wait upon God, you listen to hear what God has to say, and then you follow what God says, even if appearances indicate that would be a foolish decision. We are to walk by faith, not by sight. And for good reason. Sight is limited. Very limited. It may discern the present. May. But it can never discern the future. You see, Lot saw the richness of the land and the economic potential of it. He saw a potential to make Money. But what he couldn't see was what Sodom would make of him his wife, his daughters, his intended sons in law, his holdings, his employees, his future, and his lasting legacy. Another reason that site based decisions are foolish and unwise, is the fact that decisions based on sight are often selfish. And God will not bless or honor human selfishness. Now, I say that because the custom of the day required that Lot offer the better land to his elder uncle Abram. Everybody understood that. But, Lot's self-interest, his fascination with what he saw, kicked custom to the curb. And his poor decision-making didn't end there because there is a momentum of evil that is best avoided. Decisions based on sight usually pursue the path of least resistance on two fronts in Lot's case. Financially, he believed success would be far easier on the fertile plains of the Jordan than on the edge of the desert, the land he left to his uncle Abram. Spiritually, Lot was compromised in his devotion. And compromised devotion always seeks to avoid conviction and confrontation. So living near Sodom and away from Uncle Abram meant Lot wouldn't be reminded of his deficient walk with God on a daily basis. In fact, his deficiencies would be affirmed. Now, guided by sight, by selfishness, and his desire for the course of least resistance, we read that Lot moved his Tense as far as Sodom. That's another very telling phrase. Pregnant with meaning and implications. It indicates that Lot allowed himself to lean toward Sodom, to incline his heart in that direction, to give ear to Sodom's message, to view the world through Sodom's lenses, to play a willing host to Sodom's thinking, to be seduced by Sodom's values, to hunger for Sodom's approval. And what Lot had not yet learned was that when we lean toward evil, rather than doing what God commands, fleeing from it, And avoiding the appearance of it, we lean away from God. And we set ourselves up for inevitable, unavoidable disaster. Lot hadn't learned that, but he was going to learn. And unfortunately, he was going to learn the hard way. Again, we'll review the ugly details when we get to chapter 19. Now, as a spiritual apprentice of his righteous uncle Abram, Lot's place in Scripture should have been that of an example to follow. It could have been that of an example to follow, a good example to emulate. But instead, Lot stands as a warning to be heeded. So let me close by focusing on that warning. When Lot pitched his tents toward Sodom, when he leaned his heart and mind in that direction, he moved toward a city that we most frequently associate with the perversion of God's perfect design for human sexuality. And make no mistake, that certainly was a part of Sodom's portfolio. That was a part of Sodom's sin and wickedness and culture. But the primary reason that God judged Sodom and Gomorrah is recorded in no uncertain terms in the Old Testament prophetic book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. Listen to what the prophet said, what God said through the prophet. Quote, Now, this was the sin of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were proud and haughty. And they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Sodom's great sin, the one that brought God's judgment, wasn't the perversion of human sexuality. It was a lack of concern for the poor and for the oppressed and for those who were being denied justice. It was a culture corrupted by the pursuit of power, the pursuit of material blessing, the pursuit of comfort, and the pursuit of pleasure. It was a culture compromised by selfishness. And I would say it was a culture, sadly, not unlike our own current American culture. For that reason, I would like to suggest that the story of Lot sounds a much-needed warning for believers at this time in history in this nation. If in these days we allow ourselves to lean into American culture if we pitch our tents in its direction if we sit at its gates if we allow ourselves to anchor our identity in its nationalism if we allow ourselves to anchor our hopes in its strong military if we allow ourselves to anchor our hopes in a political party or a political candidate, if we embrace its rampant pandemic materialism, if we adopt its unfounded pride, and if we stubbornly deny its track record of neglected justice, and victimization. If we allow ourselves to accept the idolatrous package deal of God and country, or God and party, God and leader, we will find ourselves leaning toward Sodom. And those who lean toward Sodom, like Lot, fall away from God and fall into sin. Lot's story warns us that though we frequently use the phrase falling into sin, we rarely fall into sin. We lean toward it. The great Christian writer and apologist C.S. Lewis said something that brings us right back to my starting point. In his classic Mere Christianity, he said this, quote, Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. You are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, end quote. So no matter the appeal, do not allow yourself to lean toward Sodom. Now, before I close in prayer, I know full well that there are probably some listening to me who are suggesting, don't you love your country? America, love it or leave it. Well, those kind of statements are indicative of idolatry. Because God calls his people to love him to love their neighbors, and to even love their enemies. But he doesn't call them to love a secular nation state. What he does do is he calls them to seek his justice, to do his justice, to seek his shalom, to seek alignment with his word in the nation, the community where they dwell. True patriotism will make you a critic of all that is evil. And if you're silent about the evil in the community and the nation in which you live, you are complicit in the continuation of that evil. I love God. And I strive with his assistance to love my neighbor. But I want this temporary secular, misguided nation-state to be influenced towards righteousness. But my hope is not in this nation. My identity is not in this nation. The United States one day will be nothing more than lint on the pages of history, and the kingdom of God will continue forever and ever. Tune your life to the eternal, not to the temporal and don't lean toward Sodom when major decisions need to be made in your life walk by faith by not by sight consult God and do what he tells you even if it appears to be foolish and remember faith begins with listening, listening to God, not listening to the media, not listening to the culture, not listening to your fears, not listening to your emotions, not listening to a politician, not listening to a political party, not listening to what you read on Facebook, but listening to God. And remember, the God who will tell you what a wise decision will look like is also a covenant-keeping God, who will be faithful to you, even if you are unfaithful to him. Now, let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is often very difficult to discern between that which is culture and that which is kingdom, because we have a foot in both. We live inside a culture, and we live inside your kingdom. But Father, if we will listen to your word and listen to your spirit, you will always help us to know the difference. And if we will lean toward your kingdom and away from the world, our decisions will be wise. And we will leave a legacy of a positive example to be emulated. But Lord, if we lean towards ungodly culture, then our legacy will be that of a warning to be heeded. Lord, my prayer for myself and everyone who listens to this teaching is that our legacy would be that of an example to follow. Help us to cling to you and not lean towards Sodom. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you as you work out this teaching in your life.